and a very warm welcome. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining myself, Brigitte Lambanda, and my co-host, Mary. Mary, welcome to Writer's Corner Live, and a warm welcome to all of you that's joining us live today, and also anyone who's watching on the replay. Okay, hi, everybody. So today we're introducing a very, very special book. Today's book is called Rainbow Unicorn by Fred Platt. So I'm going to welcome Fred and Melissa Platt on screen with us to Writer's Corner Live. Fred and Melissa, a very big, warm welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to introduce your book, um, The Rainbow Unicorn. Fred, you wrote the book. What? The, the book is dedicated to your son. Tell us what, you know, you know, pregnancy is usually a happy occasion. And I'm sure, you know, you had that usual first parent happiness throughout your pregnancy. What went wrong? Because what went wrong with you writing this book? Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I think as we, we progress through the book, um, you will see that, uh, you know, uh, this book is dedicated to uh, the life of our son, Samuel John Frederick Platt. Uh, you will see he had a very long name, Samuel John Frederick Platt. Mm -hmm. And when we gave him the name, we wanted him always to remember, whenever he filled in a form at uh, one of the offices, he would remember the journey that he put us through. But the essence of the book really was the experience as a father, starting off through the excitement, first the apprehension of, of a pregnancy, then through the excitement and the anticipation um, of the birth of your first and only son and only child. Um, and then takes us through this whirlwind journey um, of Sam's life uh, through 15 and a half months in hospital and 15 and a half months in ICU. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, the, the journey that we had to go through when, we, when Sam died in my arms and we had to say farewell. Um, and then the title just is, is Lessons from a Rainbow Unicorn. And that was really premised on the fact that as a, a father, I so wanted to teach Sam all the lessons that I'd learned in life. So mm. my biggest ambition was to, to teach him all the mistakes I'd made and mm. to, to really empower him to be this wonderful um, person. Uh, we never had that opportunity, but in his 15 and a half months, he taught us so much. That's probably, That's probably the, the, the biggest thing that we, we don't expect as a parent. You always think that you're going to be the one that's going to pass on the knowledge. But mm -hmm. quite the reverse is true. Your, your children teach you so much about yourself that you didn't know. And I'm sure that in, in Sam's short life, you felt exactly that. Um, that he taught you a lot about yourself and life and things that you never thought you could feel or know. Um, and that's the blessing the children um, bring to us. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the, uh, the lessons 
that, uh, that Sam taught us and taught me specifically um, fundamentally changed my understanding of life, of business, of what is important in life, um, and the prioritization and, and real value. So there were so many, many lessons that we, that we learned during this, this journey. Fred and, and Melissa, I, I want to ask you, um, when Sam was not going to make it, uh, when you got to that point and you realized he wasn't going to make it, how was, how was the experience for you in, in hospital? Um, because I gather that that was one of the reasons that, that prompted you to start the foundation for Sam. Um, I'm not sure that that influenced you, you wanting to write the book, Fred, but Melissa, I think that I gathered that that was why you wanted to start the foundation because there was something lacking in that experience that made you want to be a change for, for other parents in your situation. Very much so. We had 15 and a half months in NICU and PICU, which is the ICU for children. And I think very few parents have that length of time where their child is in hospital for an entire period, never coming home. And unfortunately, the majority of that journey, although we were in the private healthcare setting, was something that was really dismal. And the care wasn't up to the standard that we would have expected. We had some amazing nurses and amazing care from the allied professionals, but they really got to a point where there was a complete breakdown of trust between us and the doctors. And mm. it was really hard because you kind of think in private healthcare that you will literally have everything you need, but I especially felt like I had no say and no voice. And during that time, we just thought, here we are, with a relatively good education, we speak the same language, we should be getting on really well and be part of a team with our doctors because after all, what we care for is our son and the best positive outcome for him. And yet it almost got to the point where we felt like we were trapped. We weren't allowed properly to have a second opinion. We really felt like prisoners. And mm. I really feel that that ultimately was detrimental to Sam and to the ultimate outcome where we ended up with him dying because no child should live in an ICU. You have superbugs, you have infections, and the longer time that one is in ICU, the more you are likely to pick up a vast array of superbugs. Um, and this really can impact on especially children detrimentally. So because of that, the foundation and trust was formed. And it was critical for us to ensure that no child should be ill alone. No child should have no say. No parent should have no say. And that's why a large part of our trust is about advocacy, teaching parents and children their rights, and making sure that children and parents have a say and have a voice and know what their options are when they are in healthcare because we do have options and you do have choices. And even when a child is chronic or has a rare condition, they have hope. Families should have hope. They should be part of a team. And everyone should work together to make sure that that child has the best life possible, no matter what their disease is or no matter what their diagnosis is. So was that the thing for you that day that you felt that you weren't to make, I mean, after all, this was your baby. Hmm. Um, so was that the big thing that you didn't, that they didn't make you feel you were empowered to make choices for your baby? Precisely. Yeah, Unfortunately, I that is, you know, 
Go ahead, Fred. Yeah, I think, you know, what we experienced in, in certainly in the first 13 and a half months of, of Sam's life, which is chronicled in my book, um, was this, uh, you know, feeling of absolute powerlessness, feeling of, of uh, you know, uh, almost got to a point of resentment towards the fact that we were not recognized as the parents. You, I think it's important to understand that, you know, and it's something that you only understand when you're a father and you pick your child up for the first time. Um, you have a, a bond with that child. And, you know, I always say I made a promise to my son that I would, I made two promises to him. The first one was that we would give him the best possible um, chance. Mm. And the second thing that we promised him when he passed away was that his legacy would, would live on. And that's really why we... We're here. Um, we have, uh, we spent 13 and a half months in hospital, numerous uh, diagnoses. Uh, Sam became uh, an experiment in some cases. In some cases, it was just that child in bed 15 in the corner with whatever disease it was. You know, we often had a situation where Sam's name wasn't even used when referred to him. Um, you know, Melissa would tell you that he was often referred to as the host, the host for the infection or the host for the illness. Mm. Um, and, and that became so difficult. And I think what made it more difficult is that we felt that with my position in, in, in business, with my uh, networks and relationships, if we felt as alienated as we did, and if we felt as powerless, how does the average person feel? And, and so the advocacy side is really to put patient-centered healthcare in the center um, and, and to, to make sure, as Melissa always says, you know, even if the diagnosis is not positive, then hope and just dignity. And it's really about restoring dignity. Can I ask you, are there any um, legal impediments that um that hampers the involvement of a parent with their child in a hospital setting or is this simply just medical um stuff that gets into the way you know are they are they are they stripping you of your powers as a parent simply because they feel that you know medicine takes center center stage I think healthcare per se is in a bit of a crisis and I think there's a shift worldwide where they're realizing that healthcare needs to become focused in a team approach rather than as a doctor-led approach where it really is about saving lives and symptom management because we saw particularly that chronic patients or a long-term patient in a healthcare situation you need to consider all aspects of care. You need to look at the physical, the symptoms are very important, but you need to look at the emotional, the psychosocial, the support, the spiritual, to really treat, and part of that is the social side as the family. And because illness impacts on the entire family, right. and if you're just focusing on symptoms, then you're gonna have a problem. So no, no legal impediment. In fact, it all comes down to attitude, and it comes down to how the doctors are prepared to include the family or not include. And so we're very passionate. We work with medical and students. We work with universities. We work with whoever we can. Fred and I accept every invitation to stand at a conference and 
really trying to build the Samuel generation of healthcare, which is about mm. a value-driven system which focuses on the patient. And, and when we say that, it also includes the healthcare professionals because they need to be looking after themselves too. Because if they're suffering from burnout, compassion fatigue, all of those things, which is I think what we was we were experiencing, and I can now better understand it, is if those things aren't mirrored, if the, each professional isn't saying to the other, you need to take care of yourself, they can never look after you as a family or your child in the best way possible because they themselves aren't taking care of themselves. I think just one important thing to understand is that the 15 and a half months wasn't all bad. We saw the we always say we saw the best and the worst of private health care. And then we were very fortunate, I think, to see the best of public health care. Mm -hmm. Sam passed away in Red Cross Children's Hospital in Cape Town, which uh, was an amazing experience. Uh, a government hospital that understood patient-centered health care, that understood the team approach, that understood how important it was to interact with the family and to communicate. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't all just negative, but what we've really got to do is, is try and learn from our experience and try and convey that. And, 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 and we've seen incredible res uh, responses. We've had, uh, you know, many, many medical, in fact, three medical, pediatric medical universities have engaged with us and we're addressing all of their uh, students and their staff. And, and so we've seen progress, but, but really it's just about the experience that we had, and, and how do we turn that into a legacy that that, see, that brings change? And to turn what was negative, and as Fred said, with the positive aspects, take that, taking that experience and really looking at how do we change something that destroyed us as a family where we lost our son, and how do we go forward constructively to really assist healthcare professionals to do better? Because we always say that Everything that was said or done to us is written on our hearts forever. And the things that were bad, if the professionals don't learn from those experiences to do better the next time, then it's wasted. But if they go forward and learn, just as we've learned, then that can really be a positive experience. And Sam's legacy then will change lives for the better. And that's really what it's about. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Um, and then I don't think we would be able to get out of bed. Is there a willingness right. on the part of medicine to, to change and, and embrace a more family-centric approach? Um, or do you find that you're hitting against a brick wall? No, on the contrary. They're hugely open to it because they realize it's a major, major problem. And I believe it's, it's fundamental and perhaps the real base and source in terms of why medical legal is such a problem internationally and worldwide. It's not just a South African issue, it's a worldwide issue. Um, we deal with families all over the world and, and locally. And really, unfortunately, Sam's experience is, is not an isolated one. No, it's not. It's uh, not. I'll, I'll give you an example. Behind us, there's a certificate here that if I can maybe just read it to you, it was given to us. And it says, for Melissa and Fred Platt, in honor of their precious son, Samuel, whose journey contributed to patient-centric care in net care, neonatal and pediatric intensive care units from the Net Care Foundation. So we are seeing, and that's just one of, of the hospital groups that, uh, that we're working with, we are definitely seeing a, a and, and I think Sam's story is, you know, it's not just 
a set of statistics. It, it's a face. It's a beautiful little boy who people can relate to the, um, to the journey that, uh, that we were on. And, we, and, and, you know, we've told it with honesty. And I think the important thing is we're not seeking retribution. We're not seeking to go legal or whatever. We would rather make sure that Sam's life was not in vain. Mm. I'd, I'd like to pick up on a question here from Donna Marie, um, who's watching. She says, did the hospital offer you as parents any aftercare from other professionals? You know, was, were the, were, was there professional support to help you deal with the loss of Sam? No. Um, I think that's the thing, is it really was an experience in isolation. And, and luckily, we were able to bring the support around us. And... Um, because of that, we moved Sam because those 13 months were so isolated. And I remember saying to a doctor once, I'd given it so much thought to try and understand why we felt so uncomfortable, why we felt this mistrust. And um, I remember saying to Fred, because he used to say to me, but why do the doctors keep shouting at you? And I said, well, I'm not sure. Maybe they just don't like my face because I really just couldn't figure it out. And um, I eventually figured it out. And I just said, it's because... I said to the one doctor, I know why I'm so anxious is because we have no say, we have no control, and we really just need to be able to participate. And he turned around and said to me completely dismissively, it's just because you don't trust us. And I think that's the big thing to, to really say to healthcare professionals. And, and so many have come around us, so many incredible doctors, incredible professors who have listened and who have heard and are imparting this message because they all feel the need but it's just to say that when parents, when you feel that parents aren't trusting you, we're just asking questions. We just want to be included. It's our child. And if you imagine just being a patient in any hospital situation, you're given a gown, you've got a back, you've got your back exposed, you're told when you can sleep, when you can eat, when you can wake up, and then take that down to a level of a child where you can only visit at certain given times during the day, and you really have absolutely no say to be able to keep your child safe. It's, it's a very frightening experience on top of the fact of the child being so very, very ill. Um, but we, but we've, you know, our second part of our journey was totally different. We had amazing professionals who worked as a team, both in government and in private. They came around us. They said, let's see how we can get Sam home. They realized how important it is for a child to go outside. I mean, I was walking in Cape Town yesterday on the ocean, and I was in absolute state because as I breathed in, I felt... Sam had never breathed fresh air. He'd never stepped mm. outside. And that just broke me. And uh, I just really just say to, to anyone who has a child who has a chronic illness, make sure you get a second opinion. You are allowed one. Make sure you get to take your child home. The child's place is not in an ICU. That's where they get sick. If, you know, if they're there for acute situations, and then you need to get home, and you need to try and find a new normal even if your child is on a ventilator with the trachea Sam was, they can still live a good life. But sadly, we learned all of this far too late. And it's really our legacy with Sam to, to impart this knowledge so people don't make the same mistakes that we made because we just didn't have the information and uh, we were very disempowered. So I want to ask you a question now in terms of how... Sam's illness, I mean, when, when someone is ill for a short period of time, you make adjustments in life and you work around it um, and you bounce back quickly. But this was, this was long term. 
this this meant it affected your everyday life and very often when something carries on for such a long period of time it starts pulling at a marriage how has this affected your marriage you can answer that no i i think very early on and and you did right you know you talk about how your life changes i said to someone the other day my gps has only recently stopped rerouting me from wherever i am in town to hospital um you know if i got in my car it it told me how long it would take to get to the hospital in question um that's how long we were there we were in the hospital every day uh for well in joburg for 13 and a half months i think melissa wasn't there for 3 days during that whole period um and and it does and very early on in life uh we got home and uh i think we had a a disagreement because of the pressures and the tensions and the challenges that you face and you know you emotionally spent um and i just turned to melissa and i said look we got to understand uh we only have each other um and if we're not going to look after each other um you know the consequences are dire but but we not we not the enemy we've got to make sure that we we support each other that we 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 there uh, for each other and and if anything i think it's just brought us so much closer i remember fred saying after that particular scream is a line of the sand and we're not going to cross it because the sets they they're terrifying i think it's something like 80% of couples don't survive this type of um of loss and uh, we were just not prepared to be to be one of those and um yeah i think also i the year before sam was born i've been studying life coaching so i spent a year kind of really digging into all of my stuff and i think that really helped because it gave us a foundation and maybe some less triggers um and fred was amazing i think you just have to realize that together you're so much stronger and apart it's very isolating already and if you lose the one you love on top of your child i don't think you could ever survive such a thing mm no and i've seen many instances like that you know where the couple just couldn't the marriage couldn't withstand the loss um of a child. Donna Marie poses another interesting question. She says, "Did you seek your own counseling services individually um uh or separately or did you help each other with counseling? Were you each other's counselors or did you seek professional help?" I think a bit of both. So, I did see a professional counselor and um but yeah, we we actually now have our own stand support group where we have a psychologist who does a pro bono with myself from a coaching perspective and we support parents that are bereaved as well as those who support chronically ill children because there isn't something like that and um Fred also went um I wasn't very good at, at the counseling <laughs> but, but my counseling became my running yeah so uh, so I took up running for two reasons I needed to feel that I'm doing something so the the, the roots of the foundation was really formed when Sam was still alive I started running and raising money uh for rare diseases at that point in time and I just needed to get out I just needed to to kind of be out on the road and and and, and just run um but obviously we it was so critical for us to be there for each other um and to hold each other's hands through 
what was really uh, an incredibly, you know, the most difficult time of my life, but also the time I would give everything I own to have over. Hmm. So the book, was the book, would you say, was that your therapy, um, Fred? And, and was the book your idea? Was it a combined idea? Was it Melissa's idea? All his idea. <laughs> <laughs> everything I do is Melissa's idea. <laughs> But um, no, I, I, I needed to write the book um, for myself. So um, I needed to write the book. I needed to, to, to deal with it because it was very difficult for me to go back and, and deal with, with what had happened. Uh, because while you were there, you are in survival mode, you are in coping mode, and you are doing what you have to do. Um, I still had to run a, a listed business. I still had to, to do everything and then switch roles and do whatever I did. And, and, and when Sam passed, it was incredibly difficult for me, as it is still. And um, I needed to really just debrief uh, myself. So what I did, and then I had to make some purpose or some, to understand some, some purpose to, to what we've just been through. Um, and that was really... The, um, the genesis of the book, I, I wrote the book really not with the intention of necessarily publishing it, but wrote it for myself and those close to me. Um, and then when I eventually gave it to uh, an editor, um, she said, no, look, you have to, you have to tell this story. Um, and and, and that, that was really the, how the book came about. And and Donna Marie asks another question. She says, when you first started writing your book, did it start as a journal of daily thoughts or did you actually just sit down and write the book all in one go? Like, you know, was it a mind dump or did you write a collection of notes that you eventually turned into the book? Melissa's laughing because she knows what the answer is. Um, I sat down and I started at the beginning and I wrote until I ran out of emotional ability to write. Mm. And then I would take a break, and sometimes that break would be months, um, and I would sit down again and pick it up where I left and write. So it was all written in one go from beginning to end, uh, but the time frame was about a year uh, because there were periods that... I just couldn't write. Um, there were points in the book, inflection points, where I just got to and I, I just couldn't go any further. Um, I just closed the computer, packed it away, um, and then when I had the courage, uh, I would pick it up and write again. Fred, so your aim with a book, who is, the, who is that book meant for? Who is going to benefit from, from reading the book? You know, I, I think the first audience um, that it's written for, now ironically, I think there's a lot of other people that are already uh, going to benefit from it and already have identified uh, the benefit. But I think the first purpose for me was to write for dads um, and to write the story from the perspective of a dad because somehow as a society, we believe that a dad doesn't really feel as much as a mom does. Uh, he shouldn't really cry. He shouldn't uh, show the emotions. 
And, you know, I was told so many times, you've got to be strong for your family. You've got to be strong. Uh, don't show, you know, don't. And, and, and for me, that was really difficult because for me, being strong was the ability to, to deal with emotion, was to cry. Um, I, I lost my son and that was emotional. So, you know, so firstly, I think, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, of literature out there for dads. I went mm -hmm. past, I read a lot of books written by moms um, about the loss of their child and, and what they experienced. But I, I didn't find, I found one book written by a dad, he sent it to me, but he never published it. Um, and so I just felt that, you know, someone has to just get out there and, and bear their soul and say, look, this is, this is what you go through. This is the reality um, when you lose a child. And um, so that's the first one. The second one, which is um, at the end of the day, is we're getting an incredible response from the medical fraternity, specifically the academic medical fraternity, um, to say that, you know, this should really become part of, of their ethics, uh, uh, you know, lectures, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Et cetera. Yeah. So that, that's the, the second one. Um, and, and the third one is really, again, at parents and, and again at fathers who haven't lost their kids, but who maybe are prioritizing everything else in their life um, over their children and maybe not understanding what is value. You know, in my book, I say when Sam passed away in my arms, I would have exchanged everything I had, everything I owned and everything I'd achieved for my entire life for just one day with him. Mm. And that, I think, gives you a relative understanding of value. But then I will look at, at fathers who are so caught up in business and so caught up as maybe I was and not understanding the true value in life. Fred, I think you give fathers an amazing voice um, and you offer a perspective, as you said, that's not available out there. And I think dads are undervalued. And, um, and I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, people always go in when, when we face with bereavement. The first thing people tend to say to you is be strong. And I, I have a problem with that. <laughs> Why do I need to be strong? I've, I've had a major loss in my life and I need to feel that loss mm -hmm. and I need to work through it and I can't do it if I'm pretending to be strong about it. So I love that you raised that point. And in closing, I want to ask you, Melissa, what is your hope for the foundation for Sam? Um, what, is, what is your hope for that to, to become one day? Gosh, um, I think we're only limited by what we can dream. And mm. and Sam's wings are so big, I keep saying he just needs to slow down because I can't keep up. So it really is to, to make sure that no child is ill alone, no child should ever die alone, and that parents are informed and that we grow in advocacy to the point where the Samuel generation is what healthcare becomes, where the values of the family, the values of the child or patient are what drives their care. And I really believe that, that Sam's story does this because his face and his truth and his heart 
has really just done miraculous things already and changed. We've changed one of the big medical groups where they're getting a, kind of doing away with visiting hours. They're introducing all sorts of patient-centered approaches. Um, and this is across the board. We've really been heard by some of the biggest medical groups in this country and insurers. And um, I think they were looking for answers and, and stories from a child's perspective, real stories, real life loss, changes, systems, changes, legal laws. We've seen parents all over the world bring advocacy and change to healthcare. And we would love the trust to do the same and, and at the same time to support underprivileged families and children to make sure that they have hope, to make sure that they have dignity and make sure that we can change their lives for the better. Hmm. You guys are doing an amazing thing. I just, wow, I have goosebumps through this whole talk today. I'm so grateful for all that you guys are doing. Advocacy um, is a very um, diverse thing to become an advocate. It takes you in directions you never imagined. It makes you grow and stretches you beyond anything you ever dreamed of in your entire life. And it has a drive behind it that's unlike anything else, doesn't it? Um, absolutely. absolutely amazing. I am so excited. I want you all to look at maxiawards.com and contact that family. They are in the state above me and they are a foundation as well and they uh, have it in the name of their child who didn't live past the age of six. Um, and they are a, a wonderful family too. And I think that would be great if those of you who have foundations like this, the power behind all of you doing the same thing, moving in that same direction. Wow. That would just, you know... That'd be, that would be really great, wouldn't it? Thank you. Thank you. We'll do that. Yeah. Uh, we we need to wrap up, unfortunately. I want to say a huge big thank you to you, Fred and Melissa. Yes. For, um, Fred, thank you for your book. Melissa, thank you for putting yourself out there, both of you. Thank you for starting for the foundation. Thank you for caring enough beyond your own grief and your own feelings. Yeah. Thank you for caring enough to want to help other parents out there. Um, and we are going to drop all the links in the comments, um, anyone who wants to get a copy of the book. I'm going to ask everyone who's watched today um, live and on the replay, please share this broadcast because somewhere out there is a mom, there's a dad, there's a family that needs to hear the story yeah. and that will draw from what um, this family, Melissa and, and Fred, has endured and from the experience that they're sharing with us so graciously. Thank you everyone for joining us. Fred and Melissa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone.